All right, open up your Bibles, John chapter 15. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of John, and we've come to this section. We're going to be in this for a couple of weeks, and I couldn't think of a more rightly placed chapter for those who were baptized as well as for all the rest of us who are learning to follow Jesus and want to live our lives in a way that honors Him, that Jesus is telling a story as He's walking with His followers in John 15. And it it reminded me of, so this this is the gift I presented to my three lovely ladies on Valentine's Day. I know it looks very unimpressive and uninspiring right now. It did have three beautiful roses that were bloomed in it. It's a rose bush. I, you know, Valentine's Day, right, guys, you know, it's always a challenge. It's an uphill push on balance. What are you going to do? Try to make it special. I thought, you know, this year, instead of getting flowers that, you know, three, four weeks later, they're just wilting and you throw them away, I wanted to make an attempt to purchase something that we might plant and grow. And some of you who've been around here a while know that it's been a colossal failure, anything else I've attempted to grow. I need to consult like Sally Myers and, and uh, you know, the Tim, Tina Winger around here, Tom Langebartles I hear knows how to grow rose bushes. So this is a rose bush, and I've been doing some reading about how we're going to grow this rose bush, and hopefully it's going to flourish and flower all about the Simpson, how, right on the outside there, and the, our nice little front planter out there. I've got a plan for this bush to grow and flourish, and you're looking at it right now going, bro, you're off to a rough start already, right? It's just waiting for spring to come. We've got it sitting, and we're trying to find the most sunlight. Kendra said to me this week, she's like, honey, I think the rose bush needs more sunlight. I go, honey, there's no sun right now in Indiana. Like, that's the issue. We put it up by the window, and it's just starving for sunlight like all the rest of us. But Jesus told a story tied to what it's going to take to get this rose bush to grow. So in doing some reading, if you don't, if you don't care for the growths of this rose bush, that there's some rogue growths that come off of a bush I was reading about. And if you don't snip those away at just the right time, that the, the rogue strands, the rogue branches can get to the point where they like block out all the sunlight to the main plant itself. So there's a process that you actually have to go and and cut away, which looks like a really good branch, in order that the core of the plant might flourish. So Jesus said, hey, as you follow me, this is a great picture of the Christian life. And he says this in John 15, 1 and 2. Here's how Jesus said it. To his followers. And he would have been walking by a vineyard, no doubt. Because the vineyards, Kidron Valley, that whole area. Filled with plants that would have been growing all about. No doubt he stops. Probably puts his hand on one of those vines. And he says this. I am the true vine, verse 1. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he circles prunes, circle that word, so that it will be even more fruitful. So we're going to talk today about what I call good and growing news. Parts of this, it's easy to amen, and other parts it might be, ugh. Because it's good news, what he's saying here, when he uses this analogy, I am the true vine. Now that's a loaded phrase if you were a Jew back in that day. Because the imagery of the vine was so significant in the life of a Jew. Like God referred to his people all through the Old Testament as a vine. 
This is why you read like in Jeremiah 2, he says this. Jeremiah 2, 21, he says, I planted you like a choice vine. God says that to his people. This is why Psalm 80 sings. There's a line in Psalm 80 that says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. This is why over the doorway of the temple that was built in Jerusalem, there was this massive gold-plated vine over the doorway. What was the significance of all that? Because God viewed and called his people a vine. Now, here was the challenging part. Every reference in the Old Testament with them being a vine was a failure, much like my growth attempts to grow anything, any attempt has been a colossal failure. God says, hey, I brought you like a, tr- a vine out of Egypt, and you have failed to bear fruit. You've been a withering vine. You haven't been the people I've wanted you to be. You haven't done what I've wanted you to do. So when you think vine equals Israel, Israel equals failure. That's what would come up in the mind of a Jew when they heard vine. So application to our lives would be, Maybe we stroll in today in early March 2019 and maybe you go, you know, you look at parts of your life and you go, it's kind of a colossal failure. If you feel like a failure in some aspects of your life, if you, if you feel like you're getting an incomplete, if you feel like it's just not quite going like you thought it should go or could go, know that you're in good company. Like the people of God, Israel, that was God's commentary on his people. You've been a failure for the most part of being who I've wanted you to be and doing what I've wanted you to do. And is that not a commentary on being a human being? I feel like if you've got breath of life in your lungs, we're all quite skilled at failure. Like, we don't have to learn how to do that. We're very good at falling on our face. We're good at making mistakes. We're good at saying things we wish we wouldn't have said, doing things we wish we wouldn't have done. We die on a hill of good intentions. I mean, this is the time of the year, right, when everyone has set out the amazing intentions in early January. And about now, they'll start to hit a rough patch in March. What is all of that? Because part of the human condition is we're quite skilled at failure. In a sense, we're just like the Israelites and the vine. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And how good, this is what the good news is. Jesus, he knows this is in the backdrop of everyone's mind. He knows they have this sense of, I know you feel like a failure. And do you see how it's his faithfulness is magnified in our failures? Do you see this? Like, this is good news. The good news is this. Jesus saying, I'm the true vine. Right there, that one little word in all their minds. Like, here's here's what the good news is. The Bible word for this is gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news is Jesus saying, I'm the true vine. I'll be for you what you could never be for yourself. I'll do for you what you could never do for yourself. Isn't that good news? Anybody need that news today? Jesus will be for you what you could never be for yourself. Jesus will do for you what you could never do for yourself in your own wisdom and strength. That's good news, church. That's gospel. That's Jesus saying, I'm the true vine. I know you've got a PhD in failure, but I got you. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the true vine. I know you've had a lot of withering parts of your life and experience, but I got you. I know there's been a lot of places of failure, but I'm faithful. Your failures magnify my faithfulness. I got you. I'm the true vine. That's good news. That's gospel news. That's where he's saying, hey, you got all this history. You got all this looking back, and you've got cringe moments, and you've got times where you've fallen on your face, times where you wish you had an edit undo. I got you. I'm the true vine. I'll be and do what you could never be and never do, no matter how hard you tried. And believe you me, Israel tried really hard. 
How many startovers did God give? Those of you who've grinded your way through the Old Testament, you know. I mean, how many times do you read the cycle? And the people of God did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than the previous group. You go, oh, how can that be? And then God comes and he keeps working with them. And then the people of God fall away and do more evil. Ah, that's the cycle of the Old Testament. Where there's this site where they try so hard and yet still fall short. And Jesus says, I got you. I'll be the true vine. That's the good news. Now hang on. He puts growing news with the good news. We want to amen the good news. Now the growing news is this. He's the true vine, and then what? The father, right, steps in. The gardener steps in. What does he say? What does he say the gardener's going to do, right? He takes a look at the plant. He said, I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. And then he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, but every branch that does bear fruit, he what? prunes. I put that word in your notes there. See what that word means there in the original language? It's like a purging away of the parts that need to just kind of, I got to purge that away. I've got to cleanse that. So these are my pruning shears that like, so once a year or so I'll go out front and I'll start working away at the bushes and the regular routine is this. I go out there, I really don't know what I'm doing. I call some smart people in the body like this. You guys give me great advice. I don't follow it very well. And so I'm out there whacking away at my bushes this way and Kendra will come out towards the end of the project and she'll, say, she'll look at it and she goes, honey, that looks dead. <laughs> How many times, right, honey? That looks dead. And what I say, no, honey, that's pruned. I said, that's going to come back and take your breath away at some point. She goes, well, I'm telling you right now, it looks dead. That looks really bad. Anybody ever felt that? Anybody ever felt like, you know, God, maybe a commentary on your last year or years of your life. You just, you feel like you're a flat stump by now. The best you got's a stub of a plant. I mean, just... He just keeps, every time I do, I don't know how the plant actually feels about this, but every time I go, just feels a little bit like when the dentist fires up the drill and hits that enamel, and you know that odor that hits right there? Is that not like the single worst odor of humanity? <laughs> I, get, I look up at the dentist and I go, you know, no disrespect, doc, but we're not going to need dentists in heaven. <laughs> like that right there, that's suffering, like that's awful. Write that. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, this, this is good. Like, I'm helping you. It doesn't smell like it. It certainly doesn't feel like it. I'm helping you. I think that's how the plant feels every time I pull one of these, right? And you just keep. And how ironic Jesus tells the story. He says, it's not, just, it's not just the rogue branch that looks like. I've got some branches on some of my bushes that obviously need to go because they look more weed-like. I'm like, well, that thing needs to go. But then there's this really nice-looking branch. Like, that thing is flowering and fruitful. And the Sally Myers of the world say, you got, ah, like, that, that looks like I did a good job growing that section. The Tom Langenbrough's where, hey, with this rose bush, you know, right, Tom, at some point I'm going to have to take what looked like a pretty good section of that rose branch right there. And, right, that's what Jesus said, hey, so here's the growing news. The good news is Jesus will be for us what we could never be for ourselves. The good news is he's the true vine. The growing news is he prunes, so we grow. God prunes, 
God purges. God cleanses. So we grow. Not easy to amen that one, is it? You say, well, what's he growing in this? He says, I'm going to cut away some sections. Now listen, some of those, we go, hey, there's some things in our life we're just grateful that God prunes away at times. You look back on your journey and you go, man, I'm so glad the Lord clipped that away. Maybe a relationship, maybe a job situation he extracted you out of, maybe some kind, right? Maybe been some kind of ministry dream or plan or vision you thought was going, and you're glad the Lord cut that off. We're grateful we have that perspective. But how about the ones where you're involved in a career, you're flourishing like this branch is bearing fruit and you feel like this is going great and then an abrupt ending. Or how about on the home front, a marriage and family dynamic and you think you have the dream going and Or how about in the ministry world, right? You get visions and plans and dreams and feel like, God, I don't think this could be going much better. I see all this fruit for you and Because it says, right, what did he say? Every branch that bears fruit. That's telling you, that's not, that's not in the unhealthy thing. There's some really good things going on there. He says, he, he prunes that one away. So that it will be even more fruitful. So even though it's, it's painful, it's difficult, it's complicated, we don't understand it, it really We'd prefer he put these things away. He says, if you'll trust me, something more fruitful is going to come out. And the question is, you know, like fruit, like what's more fruitful than that? What's more fruitful than that career, than that ministry setting, than that relation? I thought that relationship was going somewhere and then what? And the New Testament, right, gives us a picture of what kind of fruit he's looking for. Galatians 5, Apostle Paul latches on to Jesus' analogy here in John 15, and he adds to it in Galatians 5, and he says what? The fruit of the Spirit, notice capital S, notice singular, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So here's what... Here's what Jesus says, I'm going to grow in you. Anybody tried really, really hard to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life on your own wisdom and strength? How's that working out? Anybody try, like, that's an amazing list of qualities, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Anybody, like, white-knuckled it to become a more patient person, a more peaceful person, a more joyful person, a more loving person? You try to white-knuckle that? That's what the Israelites did for century after century. They tried to do it in their own wisdom and strength. And God said, you've been a withering vine. The vine has not fulfilled the life I've intended. Jesus latches on that and said, the good news is I'll be for you what you could never be for yourself. I'll do for you what you could never do for yourself. Here's the beauty of it. The good news is he'll be that true vine. The growing news is this. He's going to pull out the pruning shears and he's going to snip away some things in our life. And we're going to go through some stuff so that what? So you're going to be even more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more kind. Like he loves that fruit. He wants to see more of that fruit. Here's where you know you're a branch that's grafted into the true vine. Galatians 5, fruit is flourishing in your life. That's how you know. That's why the thought of someone being on it with Jesus and basically not becoming a more loving person at the core, that's a complete breakdown of misunderstanding of the spiritual life. 
It reminded me of the guy who came into my office years and years ago, and he had his Bible. It was one of those double-stuffed Oreo Bibles, like a really super thick thing. He had like every bulletin from every church service he ever attended stuffed inside of it. You know, he had like 17 highlighters on the outside of this thing. And he's sitting in my office, and he opens it up, and he comes in with his wife, and he opens it up. And he, I mean, this thing, I, you couldn't hardly read the text. There were so many different highlights, so many different underlines, all the notations. And he went on. I didn't get to say anything for the first 15 minutes of the conversation. He just wanted to give me an overview of his personal devotion to God and his word. The problem was his wife is sitting beside him weeping for the entire first 15 minutes. And the core of the conversation was this. He spent all his time supposedly taking all these notes and knowing this word so well. And the spouse sitting beside him is there saying, this man, I'm not sure, is becoming when the Bible talks about love. She's trying to understand who this man is becoming. She's sitting there saying, I need help because the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the emotional, the verbal abuse, but hey, he's got 5.30 a.m. every morning at the kitchen table. Do you see that breakdown? Something happened, and that conversation was hopefully going to be a temp where God's going to say, hey, you know what? We got to clip some things away here because there got to be some fruit going on here. And this can happen to us the longer we're around, especially religious circles or church circles. We can lose sight of what is the fruit he's bringing forth. Do you see the metaphor has four elements to it? Right? The gardener is God the Father. The vine is Jesus. The branches are Christians. And the fruit is spiritual growth. Galatians 5, good works that flow. Ephesians 2.10, purpose. That's the fruit that will come forth. You track, this is the analogy. The good news is this. Jesus will be for us what we could never be for ourselves. I'm the true vine. I know you've got withering parts in your, I know, I got you. But here's the deal. I'm gonna make sure you stay vitally connected to the true vine. So when something's going rogue over here, and I know you might think that, so I'm gonna clip that away so we keep centered on the true vine. So what? Galatians 5, fruit comes forth. That year after year, more love, more joy, more peace, more kindness. That's the standard, right? When we look at what's kind of the measuring stick for us in spiritual growth life, it needs to be Galatians 5 fruit. Not how many chapters and verses we've memorized. That'll be helpful to it for sure. But listen, it's not about that. You might not know all 66 books of the Bible, but if you become more loving and joyful and peaceful, that's what Jesus is growing in your life. Do you see that? So I want to I wrap this today with just kind of talk about two ways I've observed in my own journey and trying to help others. Like, how does God apply these pruning shears most frequently? I put it in your notes that God prunes with Scripture. So God's Word is important. But the problem with that previous gentleman in my office was he... He had a deflective nature to his heart, so he wanted to learn all his new Greek and Hebrew words, but he didn't want to allow it to penetrate anything in the inside of his life. He wanted any examination about who he's becoming. He wanted to deal with anger, and the scripture on anger just deflect it. You know that? We can do that with ourselves, right? We can just deflect everything versus being open and receptive. Listen to how the scriptures put it this way, describing the role of God's word in pruning Right, this is in Hebrews, right? Listen to this, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Isn't that amazing? That's what separates this God-breathed book from anything else you read. Why is it so important we're immersed here? But listen, when we're immersed here, there's got to be a, a sensitivity and a responsiveness. Like, this is the authority of God's voice in our life. So what there should be regularly is a collision of our will and our ways with his. If that's not going on very often, we're probably not understanding what we're reading. Because Jesus has some pretty radical things to say about how we should live and what we should be about. And it usually runs against the grain of our preferences often. So there's a collision and this is what Hebrews 4 is getting at. When there's a collision, right, this is how God prunes. He takes the scriptures and he confronts. I was thinking about a common thread from whom I call like large-souled men and women in my life. Like those men and women that I look up to the most, that I respect the most about who they've become and the fruit that's flowing from their life. Like what's a common thread about their life? You know what one of the common threads is for sure? That they are men and women who consistently allow this God-breathed book to wash over their heart and mind. That's a thread I just noticed. Not just know a bunch of information. I'm talking about allow the words here to begin to shape, to confront, to divide joint and marrow, to pierce through those places, to confront, to say, hey, Simpson, this is out of line. This needs to be brought back in line. You need some help here. That kind of stuff. It's Psalm 29. They have a relationship with God's word like Psalm 29. It's a great vision for our relationship with God. The word of God is the voice of God. The voice that does what? That strips the forest, that twists the oaks, that shakes the deserts. And David says, in his temple, all cry, glory. Do you have that kind of relationship with the God-breathed book where it's twisting and stripping and shaking and changing stuff in here? That's the relationship we're at. That's how he prunes us, church. That we immerse ourselves here and he shakes some things about. And at the end, we cry glory. Why? Because even more fruit comes forth. And the process, that can be very painful, confusing, difficult, but we stay immersed there. And I don't know what your personal immersion plan is for God's word. It doesn't matter what the plan is, but that it is in place is the important value. What's your personal plan for immersion in the God-breathed book? I think everybody needs to have at least some answer to that. And over the past few years, I've jumped on the YouVersion app. So permission for all of you to pull out your phones now and download the YouVersion app while I continue to talk here. Because it's that important of an app I think you could have. For all the time we spend on our screens, here's a way you can leverage some really good time on that screen. Download this app. And there are more reading plans on this app than you'd ever know what to do with in your lifetime. But I'm linked up with several guys now. I've got over 30 guys, and we're reading through the Bible together, the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs together. We're using the app to do it. And they're just trying to help guys, right? Just stay in the God-breathed book. Just immerse. You're not going to understand everything. You just stay at it. So find a reading plan in there. I use the one-year Bible printed form. You know, I'm old school back then. I still value the printed page. I know some of you are like, ah. Oh. But I was kind of, I still printed page, one-year Bible. I did that for several years. Whatever it is, just help keeps me immersed in that Hebrews 4, Psalm 29 type relationship where that word of God can twist and strip and shake and prune away because that's one of the ways he clips away that we might be even more fruitful. The other thread I would say of the large-souled men and women in my life that I see, they're people, Psalm 29 relationship with God's word, but they're also people who've suffered greatly 
And not just suffered, but suffered well. You know, there's a difference. Who suffer, suffering's the other way God takes the pruning shears often. And if you were here a few weeks ago, February 17th message, I spent the whole message talking about this line that Jesus spoke to Peter in John 13. When he said to Peter, Peter, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Church, how much life is lived right there? I spent a whole message on that, February 17th. If you weren't around, pull it out. Dark night of the soul. Dark night of loving fire. Do you know a big part of the dark night is this? It's a big part of the dark night. Do you remember we talked about a few weeks ago, detachment? So this is an image for detachment right here. We get so convinced there's so many have-tos, want-tos, must-haves in life. And you know what God does? He comes with these. And he says, hey, you know, I know you were so convinced that was a must-have. And then he clips that away and says, you can, you can live and go on and be more fruitful without that. This. In the dark night, you can't see that. Looking back over the dark night, this is what you begin to see. God is purging. God is cleansing. God is pruning. That's growing news. God prunes, we grow. How does he prune? He does it through this, this work of detachment, this work of the most common contact point for us in the pruning of suffering is endings. Endings. We're all going through the dark. Pete and your family, you know, Pete's Darge family here and just thinking about, right, Pete lost his father. The endings. Right, many of you said goodbye to a loved one recently or an ending on the home front or an ending on the career front or an ending on the ministry front or an ending on the health front. There are endings. We don't often get to choose those. The endings are thrust upon us. And often if we'll see it, often we can see the loving hands of the gardener in the ending here, as hard as it is. But if we can just stay with Jesus, stay vitally connected to that true vine, we'll see if we'll stay with him through that loving fire, something even more fruitful can come forth. But boy, when you're in the middle of that ending or you're in the middle of that deep valley of suffering, do you see why we need one another? This is why the power of community is so important. Because those of you right now in the middle of the dark night, to be linked up with someone who's just come through a dark night. Man, that's super helpful in community. To say, hey, to look you in the eye and say, stay with Jesus right there. Don't leave him. I know it hurts. I know it's dark. I know you don't understand. But know that he's doing something here. He is at work here. He's not abandoned you here. And one day you'll see it. So, Church, I'm giving you permission now. You may come by my house. Anytime in the coming months, when and if Indiana allows us to plant plants outside, we will plant this in our front planter. And I hope sometime, maybe the latter part of the summer into the fall, you come by and, man, you see some rose bushes. Take your breath away. Now listen. If not, no judgy. <laughs> Listen, no judgy. He's a way better gardener than this guy right here. Amen. Because the good news is this. He's a true vine. Do you know the true vine? By saying that, you know what he's also saying. There's a lot of false vines you can get linked up to in life. There's a lot of things you can link your life up to and try to draw life out of. A lot of people get attached to the wrong vine. 
You become the wrong kind of person. You get attached to the true vine. And here's your evaluator. More of Jesus and more of you. More Galatians 5 fruit flowing and more of you. That's the true vine. Do you know that true vine? That's good news, church. It's available to anyone. You feel like a colossal failure? Hey, Jesus, I got you. I'm the true vine. I'll be for you what you can never be for yourself. And the growing news is this. I love you enough to prune, to purge, so that you'll be even more fruitful. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Just want to give a moment here. Recognize this subject brings up a lot of emotion for a lot in the room and those joining us online. And I think some in the room feel like the pruning shears have been awful sharp and maybe a little too thorough. And you feel like you're not sure you've got much left. And so I pray you just call out to him from that place that he hears and he sees and he knows. And just lean in now to your true vine. This is a life you receive. Lay down the journey of achieving and just receive life from the true vine. Receive Jesus in and through your life by the power of the Holy Spirit now. He'll be for you which you can't. Some of you feel stretched beyond yourselves. Maybe some new assignments, new roles, new responsibilities. You just go, Lord, I don't know right now. Just lean right now into Jesus. I got you. I will help you. Trust me. Just receive a fresh wind of his spirit. Some of you just need strength to persevere and endure. You need his light of hope to come into what has been a dark night of loving fire. May he just be your hope and your strength right now and your peace. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that you just keep coming for us. Thank you that you are the true vine. Even when we've been an overwhelming number of withering vine instances, you just keep coming and you love us and you graft us into your life. And, and all the pruning you're doing so that we might be even more fruitful, we just want to surrender to that now and just stop trying to stiff arm the pruning shears and simply say, have your way, Lord. Bring forth fruitfulness from this that you will get great glory for. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have one final song together. Ushers are going to come. We're going to receive our tithes, offerings, communication cards. You can use that card. Let us know. We can be praying for you. If you're a guest here, you don't need to feel any obligation to participate in the offering. This is our way, for those of us who call Eagle home, to give back as an act of worship and to give God thanks for all the ways that we get to participate with what he's doing. And these prayer benches here at the front are open and available to you always. So sometimes in the course of a service, uh, you just need to come. Sometimes we've got to do something with our physical body to kind of represent what God's saying to our heart and soul. So during our closing song, if you want to come up and kneel and pray, uh, this space is here for you to do that. So let's stand together. Team's going to lead us through. Ushers, come.